Turn in your Bible, please, to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. We've been studying the book of Malachi all month. And in the training union hour tonight, we conclude that study. I hope you'll not miss it. It'll be a rich study. And uh, today, we're bringing the closing message in this series of messages on the book of Malachi. You will not believe that we got through the book of Malachi without my preaching on tithing. Uh, the reason for that is in training union one night our men took care of that chapter and dealt with it in uh, the training union hour. At least I pray they did. Uh, they were assigned to it and I thank you for doing that. But I want to talk this morning about this last chapter. We'll read all six verses and the focus is on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank Thee for this great time coming into the house of the Lord to study the Bible. Oh, how we're grateful for these wonderful songs that have helped us praise You and worship You and tell one another our faith in Jesus. Now as we come to the Word, may we be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit as He makes it come alive, as He makes it real to our hearts. Lord, we need Thee. We pray that the Spirit will touch lives and draw them to Christ. Some who have never been saved and others into a walk of joy with Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn like an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up like calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and ordinances. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In this concluding chapter of Malachi, he comes to a high juncture just before 400 silent years. The space between the book of Malachi and Matthew is called the interbiblical period. It is also called the silent period. Just as in the life of Jesus, 
from the time he was 12 years old to the time he was 30. There is no mention of anything he did. Those are called the silent years in the life of Jesus. These are the silent years. And most of the Hebrew people would say there was no strong voice of God during that period. There was no prophet of God railing out the message of repentance or turning. There was no priest who was taking a strong stand for God, although there were some highlights during that interbiblical period that led to the Maccabean age and the Maccabean revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes, which we'll talk about at another time. There still was no strong voice from God. But in this last chapter of Malachi, there's a warning and there's a comfort. God always does that. He warns us and He brings comfort. He is the great disturber. He is the great comforter. In chapter 4 verse 1, Behold, the day cometh. There is coming a day of judgment. Malachi continued the metaphor of the oven by comparing the wicked people with the grass and the stubble with which the oven was fired. The Lord Jesus used the same metaphor when he spoke of the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Evildoers would be destroyed so completely that neither root nor branch would be left to them. Now in verse 2, the Lord changes from a word of warning to a word of strength and comfort. All through the book of Malachi we've been aware of the warning. We've spoken of that a number of times and if you've been in the training union hour you've heard the warnings concerning the home and divorce and all of these problems that the people of God were faced with in their day. You've heard in chapter 3 the warning of those who failed to tithe who did not give to God what he had asked. And in chapter 4 verse 1 he says, Behold, the day is coming. It is coming. It may be delayed. You may not be aware of it right now, but that day is coming. And then he rushes to verse 2 to say, I want to bind up some broken hearts. I want to speak some peace to your heart. Listen to this. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up like calves of the stall. Now to fear the Lord does not mean to cringe before Him in fear as a criminal might cringe before a judge. Rather it means to reverence and respect Him and to turn away from sin. From a Christian standpoint that means letting Jesus Christ come into our heart and be our Savior and Lord. The sun's wings are its shining rays. In the ancient world the sun was a common symbol of blessing and protection. It often was represented as winged disk, beaming its blessings on the earth below. However, because of the prevalence of sun worship among the Gentiles, the Jews were reluctant to apply sun imagery to God, lest it be misunderstood. The one exception to the rule is Psalm 84:11, where the scripture says, The Lord God is a sun, S-U-N, and a shield, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 
Malachi's use of the sun as imagery was probably influenced by Isaiah chapter 60. The scripture says in Isaiah 60, beginning with verse 1, turn in your Bible and look at that. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1, 2, and 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Throughout the ages, Christians have proclaimed the fulfillment of Malachi's hope in Jesus Christ. He came as the day spring from on high, sent that those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death may see the light. Let light shine out of darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness. And you notice the word is S-U-N, talking about the Son. But it's capitalized. The Son of Righteousness, which means not simply the personification of that Son up there and saying that that's God, there are Son worshipers. But he's saying that Son is a symbol of God. It is a symbol of all that God wants to do in your life. The other morning, they, we woke up and they said the temperature is about five below zero with the wind factor and so on. <laughs> And it was dark and dismal early in the morning. You go out, have to put a coat on and you shiver, about to freeze, about to have a nervous chill. And then about 9 or 10 o'clock, the sun comes out. I wore an overcoat to my office that morning. But when I went out, after the sun had come up, it was still cold. They said the wind chill factor was down around zero. I didn't wear a coat. The sun just felt so good, it just came in and warmed me inside. Now, I don't really like to wear a coat. And that day when the sun came out, I didn't need it any longer. And that's what God does in our lives. When the Son of God is allowed permission in our lives, when He comes in and fills our lives, there is joy, there is peace, there is warmth, there is blessing, there is direction, there is leadership, and there's just a quietness inside that says, everything's all right in my Father's house. And let the winds blow. And let all the hosts of hell try to take their toll in our lives. And there can be a quietness in the midst of the storm. Now, there's not anybody in this room that doesn't have a storm coming. It's either already come or it's coming. But sometimes it's a storm of physical illness, pain. Sometimes it's a storm of a death in your family. 
Sometimes it's a storm of loneliness. Long after that one has gone away, you try to go to sleep in your, in your house and there's a storm inside of emotion and hurt and loneliness. It's there. This scripture says, But unto them that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Oh, how we need healing. We're sick. Now I could talk a long time about the sickness of the world. The world is sin sick. We talked about that in Sunday school. The rise of humanism. I can handle this job all by myself. I don't need God. The difference between humanitarianism and humanism. Humanitarianism is an outgoing of our life to try to meet somebody else's need. And we all ought to be involved in humanitarianism. But humanism is man saying, I'm all I need. Man can handle this situation. We do not need God. And ladies and gentlemen, the religion of America has become the religion of humanism that says, God, where are you? We don't really need you. We don't need you in the classroom. We don't need you in any, any place. Let's get rid of him. That's the reason I appreciate statesmen who are able to get up and talk about God. There were some things Franklin Roosevelt did that I didn't like. Now, I was young then, and when he died, I, he, I was 15 years old, and I thought the world would come to an end. I cried when President Roosevelt died in Warm Springs, Arkansas, Warm Springs, Georgia. I remember the day it happened, just like it was yesterday. But as I look back on the Franklin Roosevelt era, I remember some things at Yalta and some other things that I didn't like very well. But I want to tell you, I can never forget those fireside chats. Mr. Roosevelt would come to a world that was that was in darkness in those early years, in the Depression years, and then following that in the World War One, uh, World War Two era. And in the fireside chats, he'd always close by saying, "God bless you." I appreciate a statesman who doesn't have any trouble mentioning the name of God and bringing God into things. That's the reason I like Mr. Reagan. He doesn't have much trouble bringing God. We may not appreciate every policy he propitiates, but he reverences God. Where does God fit into your life? This scripture says, they that feared the Lord. We spoke the other night about this. Look over at chapter 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before them for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And in Malachi 4.2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in his wings. Now the obvious inference is that if you don't fear God, you're not going to be in any of, on any of these things. If you just say, well, I can handle this job all by myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. Where's God? I don't need him. Now there are some people who will say that. Not so many, maybe. But there are many people who will go about their daily routine as if they did not need God. They scarcely talk about Him. They scarcely speak about Him unless they curse Him. God. 
Oh Lord, some kind of expression like that. That's not what it means to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? They that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. You know why we're in church today? Now this may not be 100% true, but it is true 99 and 9 tenths percent. We're here because we fear the Lord. That doesn't mean we're scared of Him. That doesn't mean we're going to run away from Him. Sometimes when you fear someone, you want to run or you want to fight. That's what kids do. They get scared of somebody, so they run, and then their dad says, now you're not going to run anymore. I'm going to put up your dukes, and you go to fight, and you go back and fight that guy. And so you go back, and somebody you're scared of, you go back and try to fight him. Now, that's not what it means to fear God. You don't fight him or run from him. To fear God means to reverence him. It means to respect him. It means to love him. It means to honor Him. It means to come together and sing about Him. It means to come together and praise His name. And that's what we've been doing this morning. Somebody said one time, why do you sing so much over there? Last night we had a glorious service in this place. I wish everybody could have been here. And we sang about an hour. We had different groups sing. The Sounds of Heaven sang. The Sounds of Joy sang. Robert sang. And... Uh, uh, Brother Casey Mathias sang, and we had a great time singing. And all the congregation sang. And we did that for about 65% uh, of the time. And then the Lord let me preach the rest of the 80% of the time. And we had a good time last night in the house of God. They that fear the Lord come together and talk about Him. They sing about Him. They preach about Him. They think about Him. They love Him. And it's not just when we come to the house of God. We go to our own homes. And we sit down at a meal. Now some people sit down and gobble their food all up. They're just like pigs. They start eating, blah, 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 blah. And then there's some people that say, no, wait a minute. God provided all this. Uh, before we eat, let's talk about God. Let's talk to God. And they fear the Lord. They don't mean they're scared of Him, but they reverence Him. They respect Him. They know where the blessings come from. And they that fear the Lord spoke often one to another about Him. And they that fear the Lord, there's a wonderful promise here, a nugget of gold. They that fear the Lord shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. Oh, isn't that good? Isn't that good? Let's think for a moment of some people that have feared the Lord. In Nehemiah, turn your Bible to Nehemiah for just a moment. Nehemiah is that sort of obscure book that we don't look at very often. Chapter 7, verse 2. Then I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Nehemiah had led a group back from Persia. They had come back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There were many enemies. Tobiah, Sanballat, and many others. And they tried to discourage the heart of the people. But here was a man that feared God. Nehemiah feared God. But he was also able to find another that feared God. He said, I gave my brother Hananiah 
the ruler of the palace charge over Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Now what kind of a man was Hananiah? He was a faithful man. That means full of faith. He didn't rebel against Nehemiah. Do you know what Nehemiah did when he came back? Listen, you wouldn't have liked Nehemiah. Some of you wouldn't have. He put the screws on. <laughs> he came back to those people that were loose in their living and loose in their morals and loose in their haircuts and loose in their standards and he put the screws down. And he said, God said this, thus saith the Lord. And some people didn't like him at all, but there was a man faithful, full of faith. His name was Hananiah, and, God, and, and Nehemiah said, God led me to give him charge over Jerusalem because he was a faithful man that feared God. Jesus said, He that is faithful in a few things will be ruler over many. You want God's blessings? want the Son of Righteousness to rise with healing in His wings in your life? Fear God. Reverence Him. Love Him. Go to His house. Sing about Him. Talk about Him. Pray to Him. Tell others about Him. Nehemiah was a man that feared God and God gave him the intuition to know how to point to others that feared God and Nehemiah chose Hananiah to rule over Jerusalem. Turn your Bible to Job chapter 1 verse 9. Job chapter 1 verse 9. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said unto Satan, Isn't this something? Well, this is some compliment. I hope you'll turn there. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one who feareth God and hateth evil, escheweth evil. You can hear him just sneezing it out. Eschewed evil. He hated it. Eschewed. He wanted to get rid of all the evil. That was the picture of Job. And, and do you know who's talking about him? God said, Hey, Satan. See, Satan came before the Lord and he was accusing the saints. That's what Satan's business is. He's always busy accusing, accusing you. Accusing you before God. And Satan came to accuse the saints. And uh, the Lord said, Hey, Job, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Why, Job fears God. Old Satan said, yeah, I know about Job. I know about Job. The only reason he serves God and the only reason he fears God, you put a hedge around him. And you won't let anything happen to him. He's, you're playing favorites with Job. You never let any affliction come. You never let any trials come. You never let any problems come. I know about Job. Yeah, I know about him, God. And God knew Job. Listen to that. Does God know you? Dr. Lee used to say, Jesus is first in my life and he knows it. That's saying something. And God knew Job. And God was able to say to Satan, all right, you can touch Job. You can't kill him, but you can touch him. You ever wondered why those afflictions come your way? Maybe God knows you. 
Maybe God trusts you with great sorrow, great trouble, great burdens, great hurts. And so Satan began to move in on Job. On a day, they came and took all Job's lambs. There was a great battle. All of Job's children were killed. There was a great storm and all the houses were blown away. And they came and told Job. And you can imagine humanly how Job felt. He felt discouraged. He sat down on the hearth. He just went over and sat down. And his wife came and said, You old fool, why don't you curse God and die? Commit suicide. And Job said, No. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job feared God. Do you fear God? Do you have that godly presence in your life that reverences Him and respects Him and loves Him and allows Him to send into your life and my life whatever He will? Heartaches, take them all to Jesus. The shadows deepen and my heart bleeds. I will not question the way God leads. This side of heaven we know in part. I will not question a broken heart. We'll talk it over in the by and by. We'll talk it over my Lord and I. I'll ask the reasons. He'll tell me why. When we've talked it over in the by and by. Job feared God. God allowed all these plagues and hurts and sorrows and troubles and afflictions to come upon Job. And in all of these things, he did not charge God foolishly. I'm not going to have time to get through everything this morning. I want you to look for a moment at Proverbs 31, verse 30. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord she shall be praised. Ladies, I wish you'd go home today and read Proverbs 31. Marvelous tribute to a godly woman. Women have been such, held such a place of honor in the service of the king. God did not call women to preach, nor do you serve authority over men. But oh, what a prominent, wonderful place God has placed women in. He's put them on a pinnacle. They are the standard bearers. And this scripture says, favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I've told you about the lady in Louisville who works at the Baptist bookstore. Her name is Margaret. A beautiful lady. But if you go in the bookstore, and you look for someone that's beautiful, you may find somebody else that's more beautiful than she to the outward appearance. She has scars all over her face. She was burned severely years ago. Some of her skin is stretched and pulled. But oh, there's beauty inside that woman's heart. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, 
she shall be praised. And all in this section, there's the discussion of what it means to fear the Lord. Who can find a virtuous woman? Listen, teenagers, virtue starts in the teen years. You can go through childhood, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and when you get into those years, nine, ten, and eleven, they are the preparation years for teen years. And somehow the world and the flesh and the devil has singled out those years, 9, 10, and 11, grades 4, 5, and 6, to try to hurt our kids. They've tried to feed them dope and drugs. They've tried to make them sex conscious. They've done everything they can to gear. They've tried pouring rock music into their minds and hearts. They tried everything imaginable. They've geared at that age group. Why? Because that's the preparation for the years of maturing, 13 through 18. And when you come to those years, who can find a virtuous woman? A virtuous woman is somebody who can say no. A virtuous woman is somebody who fears God. Strength and honor are her clothing. That's what we were told last Monday night at that mother and daughter's banquet. A great banner up there. Strength and honor are her clothing. And she fears the Lord. And to them that fear the Lord shall the Son of Righteousness rise and He will validate, He will vindicate the virtue of your life. You'll never be sorry for being virtuous. You'll have times of great weeping and hurt when you let virtue leave your life. Let me give you one more. I'll be finished. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout, devout man and one that feared God with all his house, who gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. This is Cornelius. And the Bible says of Cornelius, he feared God. Now listen to this. He wasn't even saved. He wasn't a Christian. But he had a godly fear in his heart. And whenever you have a godly fear in your heart, it's going to lead you to God going to lead you to Jesus. And Cornelius knew there was something missing and he prayed and he wanted something else and, and God said, Cornelius, you send for Simon and he'll come and tell you what to do. <laughs> and he sent for Simon because he feared God. And Simon Peter came to the home of Cornelius, a Gentile. And remember that the Gentiles and the Jews had nothing to do with each other. But here comes proud Jewish Peter, saved by the grace of God, but still prejudiced. And he comes into the home of Cornelius and he says, what is it that you want me to come here for? These men came and told me to come. And Cornelius said, sir, I don't really know. God told me to send for you that you had something to tell me. <laughs> you see, you know why you're at church today? Some of you have never been saved, but you know why you're at church today? God brought you here. Because there's a fear of God in your heart. 
You may not have understood all about it, but there's a fear of God inside your soul, and God led you to hear because he's saying inside, there's something you need to hear over there at church. And here it is. Jesus loves you. <laughs> Isn't that good? Jesus loves you. To them that fear the Lord shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. He wants to heal the brokenness inside of you. He wants to heal the sin. He wants to heal the hurts. He wants to come into your life and go home with you today. But you have to let Him. There's a stranger at the door. Let Him in. He has been there off before. Let Him in. Let him in ere he is gone. Let him in the Holy One, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. Let him in. And to them that fear the Lord shall the Son of Righteousness rise with healing in his wings. May we pray. Our Father, thank you for that wonderful promise from the Word. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would make that alive. And Lord, help somebody to come to Jesus today and to take their stand for our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. Number 252. Will you turn in your songbook to number 252? Let me encourage that no one leave for a few moments. We come to a very important hour. This is the time of response to the Son of Righteousness. He hath risen with healing in His wings and He wants to help you. He wants to come into your life and cleanse you and forgive you and save you. If you're already saved, He wants to be the answer to all the heartaches and hurts and afflictions you've gone through. Will you let Him? Right now, I'm going to stand down front. I'd like to ask you who are willing to let Christ be the healer in your life. The healer of sin. The healer of hurts. The healer of afflictions. The, the healer of misunderstandings. Whatever way God has spoken to you, would you come? Take a stand for Jesus today. Some of you have been saved, but you need to be baptized. Some of you are Christians, members of another church, and God wants you at Glendale. Some of you have never been saved, and He wants you to come today. While we begin to sing, who come first? Will you come quickly?